Hey, good morning, everybody. Sorry for the late start. The topic today is who was Ezra HaSeifer, and, and the reason why I chose this topic is because tomorrow is Ezra HaSeifer's yard site. Ezra passed away on Tess um, Teves, today's class, um, fast day on Tuesday, Avir <laughs> Teves. And actually, um, according to one of the earliest, one of the earliest svarim ever to be written, we need to say the Mishnah was actually written after this sefer was written. It's called Megillus Tainus. It was one of the first things to be written down. Uh, says that one one of the reasons why we fast on Asarbatevis is because Ezra HaSefer passed away on. Tevis. They didn't want to make consecutive fast days, so there was something that happened on Ches Tevis, something that happened on Tess, something that happened on Yud. So they combined them and they made them all on Asar B'tevis. Asar B'tevis, of course, was when the siege was laid on Yerushalayim. We spoke about that in past years, about the significance of that, and Tess Tevis was the day that Ezra Sefer passed away. And <clears throat> there's two interesting things about that. One of them I'll get to a little later, but the most interesting thing about this, that Ezra Sefer passed away, that we're commemorating the fact that Ezra Sefer passed away, is that it's a very unique thing. Why We don't really make a deal, uh, certainly, not even, for most of our G'daylam and our great people, there isn't even a minig um, to fast on the day they passed away. We know but Messiah, the days Yaakov Avinu passed away, Avram Avinu passed away, Yitzhak Avinu passed away, we don't fast on those days. We certainly know the day that that Moshe Rabbeinu fast, uh, passed away, and there is a very limited minute to fast on that day, Kedisha fast on Zayin uh, Adar, but there's certainly no institution of a fast. Aaron um, Akayim, we know when he passed away, there's no fast. So it's very, it's very unique that there's a fast for the fact that Ezra Seifer passed away. Now, we do uh, have a fast on the day of Gedaliah was killed, but that wasn't really because Gedaliah was killed, it was more what it, what it uh, meant, that the rest of, basically destroyed the rest of the... The, it was the end of the Harbin, so to speak. It's when everybody else had to leave Eretz Yisrael because of the fear of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a very unique thing, that we're commemorating the, the death of one of our G'dayla, one of our tzaddikim, <coughs> and, and making a fast, and we have to understand why. And we'll see that, uh, obviously, in order to answer this question, we're going to need to learn about Ezra and understand what his significance was and what he represented. But the whole point of this fast, as we'll see later, was because... At the time that he passed away, he wasn't appreciated enough. And that's why the, they instituted this fast, so that we can do something about it. So it was kind of, um, it would be defeating if nobody even knows who Ezra Sefer was. <laughs> and they wouldn't, they wouldn't accomplish anything. So let's learn a little bit about who Ezra Sefer was. Um, <clears throat> so let's just begin with some basic knowledge, background, on who Ezra Sefer was. Ezra Sefer was a Kayan. He was a direct descendant, obviously, of Aaron Akayan, but his lineage is listed out in Sefer Ezra, all the way back to Aaron Akayan, exactly who, who, how he was descended from him. He was a Talmud of Baruch Beneria. Baruch Beneria was uh, Yermio's Talmud. So Yermio Navi was the Talmud, who was the Navi that led Klai Yisrael into Golis, had a Talmud Baruch Beneria. Baruch Beneria never was Zeichat to Nevuah, and actually Hashem, through Yermio, who gave him a message that is a special reason why he wasn't Zeichat to Nevuah, it was like a question, he should have been Zeichat to Nevuah, but Ezra Kain was his Talmud, he was Baruch Benaria's Talmud, and 
actually there was a there was the first group of, uh, of so to speak settlers that went back to Eretz Yisrael from Bavel. Ezra was not among them. There that was Nehemiah was part of that. Um, Yeshua Kain Gadol is in the Aftiras of Hanukkah. He was part of that, and he became the first Kain Gadol. Ezra did not leave because Baruch Benaria was still alive, and he didn't want to leave his Rebbe while he still could learn from him. So he waited until Baruch Benaria passed away, and that's when Ezra went and led the rest of Klai Yisrael out of Galus, uh, Bavel into two Yerushalayim. And he became the Kohen Gadol at that point when, uh, when Yeshua Kohen Gadol passed away. According to the Gemara Megillah, Ezra is also Malachi. Malachi is the final Navi, the last Navi in Treyasa, the final Navi in history. Chag is Malachi. Malachi was the very last Navi. And according to the Gemara, it was the same person. Ezra and Malachi, many times you have that in, in Tanakh, that the same people have different names. Mordechai is called Mordechai in the Megillah's Esther, but in Sefer Ezra, he's called Bilshan for different reasons. So it's not unusual that you have different names. Uh, being this, and still be the same person. And Igmar proves it because they both kind of dealt with the same issues. We'll see as we go along. So Ezra was Machi and he was the final Navi. And this fact will also help us understand uh, part of the tragedy of Ezra's passing away because it signified the, the, el- the end of Nevoah. That's it for forever until Mashiach comes. This was the end of Nevoah. This is the last Navi to prophecy to Kali Yisrael. And it's not something that was a foregone conclusion, as we'll see. It was something we could have done something about. Nebuah didn't have to end then. It ended because of, it was our fault, and therefore with Ezra's passing, it was a, a moment in history where it was, we could have done something about it, and we did it, and we lost Nebuah as a result. <clears throat> and um, the second also, the second point is that the prophecies that are in Sefer Malachi, the things they talk about, also shed light on what was the challenge of the Jews during the beginning of the second base of Mikdash, the building of the second base of Mikdash, and ultimately these were the things that contributed to the fact that the second base of Mikdash ended up getting destroyed. So we're going, as we learn more, we'll start to understand that there's actually a very strong connection between the death of Ezra HaSeifer and Asar Batavis, whereas Asar Batavis is the day that physically the Harbin began, the roots of the Harbin actually began from the very day the base of Mikdash was built with the death of Ezra HaSeifer. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll learn more about that as we go along. If you look, at, uh, <clears throat> take, you look at the source sheet over here, you can see that um, in the, the source, uh, the fifth source is Psukim in Malachi, uh, which are Musar, rebuke to Kali Yisrael, Ben Yechabed Av Ve'eved Adoinav, a son respects his father and a servant his master. Vim Avani, if I am your father, Hashem is talking, I equate you, where's my respect? Vim Adainamani, if I'm your master, I am a roi. Where is my, where, why, aren't you, why don't you fear me? Amr Hashem Tzvakas Lachem, HaKayanim, you the Kayanim. He was addressing this to the people who were actually serving in the Beis HaMikdash, the Kehanim. Boize Shemi, you are humiliating my name. So, but they retort, the Kahanim, they don't take this sitting down, they say, what do you mean, what are we doing? What are we doing wrong? Which means, and this is unique, which you don't see that, that often in Tanakh, uh, that the Navi actually demonstrates that Kahanim doesn't even know what they were being rebuked for. And that, that teaches us something, because often Kahanim didn't know what they were being rebuked for. If they didn't know what they were being rebuked for, that means that the problem was a very insidious kind of problem. So much so, it's like, you know, when someone is doing something wrong and they don't even know. Someone is, they don't know that they don't know. And that's, that's always a much deeper problem. So they say, How is it that we humiliated you? So Hashem answers, Because you are serving on my Mizbeach, disgusting bread. How is it disgusting? 
Ba'amarchem, the Hashem answers, Shulchan Hashem nivzehu, because in your eyes, the, 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 the table of Hashem is not important, nivzehu, it's something unimportant. V'chisa gishen iver l'zbayach, ein ra, do you think you can bring a blind carbon, which is a mum, you know, it's something that demonstrates that the carbon was not important in their eyes, and they didn't have, they didn't have to take the best that they had to bring to Hashem. So they brought the blind animals, you're bringing a, a, a blind animal to shechted, ain ra, that's nothing wrong with that. An animal that's lame, or sick, ain ra, there's nothing wrong. When you bring a carbon with your worst stuff, the worst items you have, do you think I will approve of that? Or I will, I will have, you know, um, shine my countenance upon you? If you don't listen, and if you don't pay attention to this, to give respect to my name, you, I will send Meira's uh, destruction, different sorts, but races, and I'll remove all your brachas, all your blessings, because you're not paying attention. So this was a deal, because we've also spoken about this in the past as well, that Kalei didn't really believe in the second base of Mikdash, and as we'll see, they didn't really believe in the whole concept of the Geula from, from Galas Babel. They didn't buy into it. They didn't think it was real. They didn't think it was a real Geula. They didn't think the base of Mikdash was a real place of Ashura Sashkina. And that was what resulted in the Kahanim, whether they literally brought uh, these Karbanis that had actual mumim, they were blind or they were lame, or they just brought their least important things because they just didn't think they were really doing real service of the base of, 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 of Hashem. And it wasn't chashuv in their eyes. And as a result, Malachi tells them that if you continue with this, you're going to lose all your blessing and all your prosperity and all your dominance, which ultimately is what happened throughout the whole period of the second base of Mikdash, almost the whole time. Jews were not prosperous. They were dominated by other nations. They, it, was, it wasn't a great time uh, throughout that whole period of time. So that was, this was, uh, again, it opens our eyes to a little bit of what part of the problem was. Go ahead. Meaning? Uh, well, no, so they didn't have that. They didn't have that, that kind of nace in the second base of Mikdash. That was part of the problem. Then the first base of Mikdash, there was a fire that was there from Hashem, and it never went out. It had the shape of a lion. It was a miraculous fire. They didn't have that in the second base of Mikdash. They didn't have any of the miracles. They didn't. They didn't have any. Exactly. And that was, that was why they didn't like, believe in it. They saw in the first, in the first base of Mikdash, they had all these kind of open demonstrations, and they had Nebuah. And they didn't have any of that in the second base of Mikdash. So there was, it was all based on faith. And they were having a hard time buying into that. Last time we spoke, we said that Hanukkah was, was a, somewhat of a change in attitude in Klai Yisrael because Kaddish Baruch did perform a nace, so they, had, that, they bolstered their amuna that Hashem was, Hishkina was in the base of Mikdash. But that was some good 200 years later. So it was, at, this, at this point, this was a big struggle. And Kali Yisrael wasn't buying into it so much. Go ahead. Their, their karbanos were not received in any particular way after they gave it. It was nothing. There was, it was just burnt on his back with a regular fire. It was, I'm sorry? Ezra Sefer was the, was the, the leader, the Kayan Gadol, the head of the Anshik Nesekadayla. He was the penultimate leader of Kali Yisrael at this point. No, it didn't come from him, but they didn't respect him. They, they, they didn't believe him. Yeah, go ahead. I thought Ezra never took the Kamina Gadola because he didn't want to take too much, amass too much power in one. I think there's different sources. I think there's different sources. I saw one source that says he did. I've seen other than that. After he 
Well, after Yeshua Kohen Gadol passed away, yes. <clears throat> okay, so they did not heed his warning. As we'll see, this was a general problem with all of Klai Yisrael. They were not really buying into what Ezra was saying. And as a result, that was their Klai Yisrael were oppressed and poor, right, for the rest of the period. Now, what we know about Ezra's accomplishments are divided into two parts. We know a lot about Ezra because he wrote a Sefer, a Sefer Ezra. So he tells a lot about what he did. And there's also a whole other portion of things that he did, which is not recorded in Sefer Ezra, but it's recorded in the Gemara. Ezra did a lot of, uh, made a lot of takanas, which uh, there's no real good translation for the word takanas. But takanas, uh, it's not an edict, it's not a decree, it's not a law, it's not quite a policy. Literally, I would say what it is, is a policy that fixes things, like tikkun. That's what a takanas are. And it, it, it encompasses a number of things. We'll see a little bit more about it in a minute. So... <clears throat> So what in, in Sefer Ezra, um, first of all, you know, we, we, just to get an idea of the level of person we're talking about, take a look at the first source. This is a Gemara in Mesechet Sanhedrin, Dafchafal Afan Beis. The Gemara says, "Roi hoi Ezra shetinasin Torah al Yodeli Yisrael el Malei Kadmei Maisha." If not, that Maisha came first. Ezra would have been the person to give the teach Torah to Kal Yisrael. So he was as much a, as a uh, historic figure in. Teaching Claudius, I mean, just think of what Maishu Rabbeinu did, right? Maishu Rabbeinu formed us as a nation. He took us out of Mitzrayim. He gave us our identity. He gave us the Luchas. He gave us the Tyra. He gave us the Mani. I mean, all of Claudius Rawls' formation as a nation, our whole identity is bound in, you know, with, with Maishu Rabbeinu. And Ezra was the same thing in his time period, which means that it was, there was a reset. Claudius Rawls, Maishu's Claudius Rawls went up till the end of the, the base of Mikdash, first base of Mikdash being destroyed, went into Galus. We kind of lost our identity as a nation. And he reformed it, and he gave us a new identity as a nation, and that's what he accomplished. And he would, the Torah would have given, been given through him, where he would, ha, would it have not been given through Maisha? And uh, the pasuk, the next uh, source over here is a pasuk in Ezra, which just demonstrates how he taught. It says the pasuk says, "Ki Ezra heichem levava lidrash esteres Hashem." Ezra prepared himself, which means he immersed himself, and he he learned enough to learn teres Hashem. Velasos velamid be Yisrael chaykum mishpat, and he taught Klal Yisrael chaykum mishpat. So he taught, literally taught Torah to Klal Yisrael. And um, if you look at uh, source number eight, um, it says, She'b'tchilo k'sh'nishtakcha Torah m'Yisrael, it's in Sukkah. Initially, Torah was forgotten from Kal Yisrael, Allah Ezra m'Babla v'yasta. So he literally, the Torah was, was forgotten, which means parts of it were forgotten, or there wasn't a clear Messiah, and it was in danger of, being, of falling apart. And Ezra reestablished Torah, he reestablished the language even. They didn't have, the language had become diluted from many different Galios because they were in Babel and other places. The, the, the writing, the way we write Lashon Kodesh is now in a Sefer Torah, Ashuris, is attributed to Ezra Sefer. So he established a lot of just the face of, of Judaism, the, 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 actual, um, the actual Torah we have. The words of the Torah are based on what Ezra Sefer wrote a Sefer Torah and gave it over. He himself, the Gemara says, he worked through the different... Uh, contradictions in different ways of writing the Torah, and he, he, he came up with a, a clear version, so on and so forth. He, he, he kind of uh, remodeled all of Judaism so that it could be put back together and be, be in a form and a, that it can last now through the next period of history. As we know, he was the head of the Anshik who they formed the, all the tefillahs, right? Where before that, everybody had been davening just basically from their heart, and they saw it can't go on like that, so they had to make tefillahs that had this very straight uh, clear language that everybody could latch onto. So you, it, it, it was an, an overwhelming job 
of reestablishing the whole Torah, every part of, Jude, of, of, of Judaism, of our practice of how we serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so that it could last, because it couldn't continue the way it was. It was, it was falling apart. So that was what, that was what Ezra accomplished in, in a, on, on a greater level. <clears throat> now, go ahead. I'm sorry? A sefer means a few things. A sefer means that he wrote a sefer Torah. A sefer also means that he counted mitzvahs, meaning to say he gave us a way to remember mitzvahs, to gave us a methodology. Uh, the Mishnayis a lot of times say there are five people who can't take truma, there are ten people that can't do this. That's, that's the, the term sefer means that also counting. It means uh, arranging the Torah in a way that could be easily remembered. So it was all part of what he did. A unique second name, yes. So, okay, so, <clears throat> so um, if you go back to the, what I was saying before, so the Psukim, tell, when they tell us what Ezra accomplished, he made the main achievement, which is the whole, basically the majority of, say, for Ezra, is he was trying to get everybody to come back to Eretz Yisrael. He was not very successful with that. He was not very successful with that. He got a, a sizable amount of people, but, like, it was really a minority uh, so much so that he did not get a single Levi to come back. Not a single Levi came back. Uh, Kahadim came, but not Levim. He didn't get a single Levi to come back. Um, take a look at the Pasuk uh, number three in your sources. Uh, we gathered the, everybody who was going with him, the, all the settlers, they gathered by this uh, river. And we rested there for three days. And I started to pay attention and count who was there in the Kehanim. I did not find a single Levi. And that's very significant because the Levim were the teachers of Klai Yisrael. The Levim were the Tamid HaChachamim. They were the people that really were responsible for continuing the Messiah. And they did not come. They stayed in Baba. Daniel, uh, Mishal, Azariah, they, there's different, different Svarim have different opinions about this. Did they go to Eretz Yisrael? Did they not go back to Eretz Yisrael? Even if they went to Eretz Yisrael, which some opinions say they did, they went back to Babel. They died in Babel. They didn't stay in Eretz Yisrael. There was a, a, an issue here. Not everybody bought into what Ezra was saying, that you should leave Dallas and go back to Eretz Yisrael. And all the Levim did not. Ezra was so upset about it, the Gemara tells us that he gave a knas to the Levim. He gave them a, a fine of sorts, but a very significant fine. Up till that point, the Levim got Maiserishin, right? Which means that you took... Uh, any all agriculture, whatever was grown, right? So if someone grow, grew 100 pounds of uh, tomatoes, so uh, two pounds went to the Kayin, that was Truma, and then nine pounds went to a Levi. It was a very significant uh, tithe. Um, and he took it away, gave it to Kahanam. So this was a huge source of income at the time. That was, it was an agricultural society, and Levim didn't really have, they didn't own a part of Eretz Yisrael. Levim had cities, they didn't have agriculture, so they relied on this. Took it all away from them because they didn't come back. You don't come back, you don't get it. Uh, but that was for the rest of history. The Levim did not get Maeserishin anymore. So it was, it was very significant. But they didn't come. So Levim didn't come and many other people didn't come. <clears throat> and whatever Jews there were in Eretz Yisrael throughout the period of Bayashani were just from those original settlers. And there were many Jews who stayed behind. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Now, the next half of uh, Sefer Ezra, the last two, three prakim, talk about how he found out that many Jews had married, intermarried, had married um, non-Jewish women, which also we've discussed 
uh, in the past regarding Rosh Hashanah, the Rosh Hashanah that they had. <clears throat> and this was a catastrophic thing, right, that the Jews intermarried and it was destroying the whole Yuchus of Klai Yisrael, the lineage of Klai Yisrael, the future of Klai Yisrael was being compromised. Uh, also, we have to understand, you know, it doesn't exist so much today, but at that time, uh, it was of ult- utmost importance that people knew their Yuchus. You had to know if you were a Kayin. You had to know if you were a Kosher Kayin. Because it couldn't serve in Beis HaMikdash unless you were a Kosher Kayin. Uh, if you were a Kosher Kayin, you couldn't marry anybody that had any kind of question on their Yichus. You couldn't marry anybody that had a question of Ramzeris, of Sol, any kind of Isser. Uh, you, 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 so the Yichus had to be worked out. And Ezra did that. But if there were people marrying Gaim, not, and then those people just kind of mixed into Klai Yisrael, that would destroy everything. We couldn't have a Beis HaMikdash if we didn't have proper Yichus. The reason why we don't have, why we take challah today and we burn it, we could give it to a kain, kain would be allowed to eat challah. The only reason we don't do it is because our kahanim aren't meyuchasim. We don't know for sure. Nobody knows 100% that they're kahanim. And we're not going to know until uh, Eliyahu and Nabi comes. Otherwise, you'd be able to give, a kain would be allowed to eat challah today. There's no, you wouldn't have to burn it. You could be kahanim the mitzvah. So yuch is a big deal. Go ahead. Can we talk about like, the genetic markers of kahanim? Like, if there was a That's not enough for Yichus. It means he's a son after son after son, but that doesn't mean that there was someone that was a Mamzer Aminul, or there was someone that was a Pasal, you know, then that destroys the whole Yichus. So it's, uh, without a real Yichus, there's no way to know. Yes, so for Pidyon Ben, there's no Isra involved. In other words, eating Chala, the Kayan would be over and Avera, Misa, actually, if he's not allowed to eat Chala. So that's why we don't do it, we just burn it. But Pidin we have no choice, right? So we just do what we can. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? The problem eating again, right, right, right. Pidin Aben, they say the, the, the Grog, Vilna uh, Gain, he was a Bachar, and he, every kind he met, he would do Pidin Aben with. <laughs> Until, what they say is that he met um, someone from the Rappaport family, and then he was satisfied that he did the best he can possibly do. There's a question whether that Yichus still has the same validity as 200 years ago, you know, but still. That's, what, that's, that's, that's the way the story goes. So in any case, he began this process of separating all these, uh, getting people to divorce these wives, and people had children from these women, and it was a, it was a tragedy, essentially. The Kuzuri writes that uh, he can't imagine that there's any other, any other nation that this could have been accomplished with that you can tell them that Hashem doesn't allow you to remain with your wife and with your children that you have from his wives, and they would go and divorce them. He said it's a testament to what, who Kal Yisrael is, that he was able to, to, to accomplish this. And Reb Tzadik writes, which is interesting, that these children, they did still hang around the Jewish nation and identify themselves as Jews, and they were the people that became the eventual Messiavim, the people that, you know, they were fringe elements, and they lost their faith, and they became the Messiavim, and they, they, un- they caused untold tsaris. So it just gives you an idea of what would have happened if Ezra would not have taken care of this problem, what a tremendous problem this would have grown into. Right? Basically, these people would have flown further and further from Klai Yisrael, and then they would have destroyed it internally uh, if he would not have taken care of this. But what's interesting about this, and this gives you a little bit more of an insight into how Ezra operated, that there's a little bit more background to this. The fact that they married non-Jewish women wasn't simply... Um, you know, because they were in Galos, and there was, there was more to it, which is interesting. Take a look at source um, number nine. Uh, it's a medrash. Amar el Chagi, b'shasha alu Yisrael min Hagayla. When Klai Yisrael came out of Galos, nispach mupnei anashim min Hashemesh. The faces of the women 
uh, became black from the sun. I don't know exactly what this means, but somehow they lost their beauty. That's the point. So they left them. And therefore they went and married non-Jewish women. So something had happened to Jewish women that they lost their beauty, and they went and married non-Jewish women. And these women would surround them as Be'ach and cry. And Malachi gives Musr because of this. And take a look, it's uh, source number six. Pasuk in Malachi, Ba'amartem, Alma. Why, again, Kaiser was asking, what do we do? Hashem is testifying between you, Hashem is judging between you and your wife of Nurim, and as your first wife, your original wife, the wife you, you married when you were young. You just betrayed her. She's your friend and you're the, the woman you had a covenant with. So it means there wasn't just single women they didn't marry, it was their wives that they came with from Babel. They divorced them because somehow they had lost their beauty. And this gives us a little bit of an insight towards the takanas that Ezra made, because some of the takanas make a lot of sense to us. He made a takana that they have to, we do laning in shul on some Mondays and Thursdays, and we do laning on Shabbos Mincha. That was all Ezra's uh, takanas, all the things that he established. So we understand he wanted to keep the Torah, he wanted to make sure Klai learns throughout the week, not just on Shabbos, so that the Torah wouldn't be forgotten. We understand that. He made other takanas regarding settling Eretz Yisrael. He established Batedinim. There should be places of judgment throughout Eretz Yisrael, and they should meet on Mondays and Thursdays when people are around. All these kind of things we understand. But then, one of his takanas was that there should be, always be people, peddlers, rechelim they're called, peddlers who sell perfume and makeup. And uh, I think the, the significance of his takana was that cities used to have like guilds that regulated the business that went on in the city. So you kind of, if you weren't a member, you couldn't come. And he said, nah, for people selling perfume and makeup, there's no limitations. Anybody can go anywhere. Uh, and you wonder like, what? <laughs> That's interesting, but like, why, why we, as I said, we make that takana, but when you learn this, they understand. It was very important, because that's why people were marrying non-Jewish women. They didn't find the, the Jewish women to be beautiful. So he made, he put it, made it his business to, to ensure that, that, uh, that Jewish women have access to what they need. That's just fascinating. So... <clears throat> This was all part of what Ezra was doing. Again, it gives us just a, an idea of how it was all encompassing, how, how much he had to effort, he had to put to, to rebuild the Jewish nation after the Gaulus. So now let's, let's begin understanding on a, uh, a little bit of a deeper level what, what happened with Ezra's passing, because essentially what happened was, and this is always why we would have a, a fast day on any of our fast days, is because an opportunity was missed. Uh, the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, an opportunity is missed, and it's an opportunity today as well. We look at it today as well, right? We, don't, we haven't done enough to get the Beis HaMikdash rebuilt. And that's why we're fasting, that's why we fast on Tisha We could have done something, we could do something different and to, make, to, to, to have it being, to, to give us the schos that the Mashiach should come again. When Ezra passed away, an opportunity was missed as well. There was a, there was a window of opportunity, a tremendous window of opportunity, and it passed when he died. And what, what could have happened was that the Geula from Babel, when they came up to Israel, could have been the final Geula. The second Mesa Mikdash had the potential, and the Geula from Babel had the potential to be the ultimate Geula, to be a final Geula, and the Kaiser would have never gone in Gullus. The Chazal say this in Mesechta's Brachas. This is um, source number uh, seven. It says, Ad Yavar Amcha Hashem, these are Psukim in uh, Azashah, right? Ad Yavar Amcha Hashem, Zubi Until this is, that refers to the 
first time Kal Yisrael went into Eretz Yisrael when they crossed the Yarden, right? Ad Yavram Chashem, Ad Yavram Zukanisa, right? So the pasuk in Azyash kind of repeats itself. Zubi that's referring to the second time they crossed the Yarden when they went back from Bavel to go into Eretz Yisrael. And Mikanam Rechachamim from here Chazal say, Ruim Hay Yisrael leAsus Lahem Neis Bimei Ezra. Kal Yisrael could have had the same level of of uh, miracles, like in the days of Ezra, Kederek Shenas Lahem Bimei Yeshua Benun. Which means in the days of Yeshua Ben-Nun, they had a tremendous miracle, the Yarden split. And uh, it's the water stopped, and Klai Yisrael passed through, and it was like an open demonstration that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was kind of escorting them into Eretz Yisrael, and he gave them Eretz Yisrael. Miraculously, they were able to conquer all the 31 kings that occupied Eretz Yisrael in a miraculous fashion with only losing like uh, one, 31 people in the whole course of that war. And the same kind of miracle would have happened when Ezra went. It was the same miracle, which means the Layarden would have split, they would have, they would have conquered Eretz Yisrael, they would have gotten Eretz Yisrael by force, by their, own, by their own rights, and they would have dominated and, and ruled over themselves. But because of the sin, they didn't. And what happened was, is that they didn't have any miracles, no open miracles when they went into Eretz Yisrael. Sorry? We'll see. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're getting to, yeah. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't um, have any miracles, and they also didn't go under their own dominion. They went only with the permission of Kairish, uh, and they were under the Persian king, and then they were under the Greek kings when Alexander conquered the world, and then they were under Romans, and basically throughout the whole period of history, they were almost, except for a small period of time that the Hashmanayim had uh, independence, almost the whole, the whole 400 years, they were under some one... Uh, one nation or another. And uh, there's a Rashi in Yecheskel that gives a little bit more, he, just, he, he, he explains it even more. This is uh, number 10. It would have been appropriate. What, what would have happened when they came out of Golis? This would have been the final Geula. That's what could have happened with Ezra. Which means the second base of Mikdash never had to be destroyed. And that could have been ensured already from the point when Ezra came up from Eretz Yisrael. But they sinned. Now, Rashi says, I don't understand totally. But he writes that their tshuva wasn't like a full tshuva. Like they, didn't, they didn't really accept tshuva. And they, they had to go with the Rishus of Kairish and his son, uh, and that on their own. Now, Rashi, again, I don't know exactly what Rashi means, but there is a Gemara in Yuma that does tell us what the chait was, and that's number 11. And the chait was, there's a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, if it's a wall, then we would be, be able to build a uh, crown of silver. But if it's just a door, a wooden door, we could protect it with a, uh, a bar of wood. So the Gemara explains that this refers to Kal Yisrael. If you would have made yourself like a wall, which is like one unified force, uh, it represents a, a, a powerful, connected, unified Kal Yisrael. If you would have made yourself like a, a wall, and if you would have all come together, if you all listened to Ezra and all participated and come to Eretz Yisrael, you would have been then compared to silver. It doesn't decay. Silver tarnishes, but it doesn't decay. It stays. It doesn't rot. But but now you only came partially like a, a door in a wall. A wall is a big thing, and a door is a very small part of a wall. You only came like, like doors. You're compared to wood. That, uh, that rot can, can uh, have an effect on it. So essentially what happened was is that Kalei had an opportunity with Ezra. 
he said, sent out the message to every single uh, community in Klal Yisrael. And he asked them to come back to Yisrael with him. And if everybody would have listened, if everybody would have believed him, if everybody would have had the faith that this is going to be a ge'ula, this is going to be a real base of mikdash, Hashem Shekhinah is going to be Shaira over here, then we would have had open miracles, uh, the Yarden would have split, we would have conquered Yisrael from our own volition, and then and the Marsha over here explains that Nebuah would not have ended. Nebuah would not. We would have continued with the same kind of life that we had during the first base of Mikdash, and it would have been a permanent thing. Nebuah would have been a permanent fixture in Klai Yisrael, and um, the base of Mikdash would have been permanent, and the victory would have been, wouldn't have been destroyed. It would have been like Kesef, which doesn't decay. But instead, because Klai Yisrael didn't buy into it, Klai Yisrael didn't believe it, they didn't have the faith that, that this was a real Geula, so it was kind of like a cash 22. It, therefore, it ended up not being a real Geula. Okay, go ahead, you were, you, what were you asking? Yes. It would it would look exactly like it did then. What? I'm saying like how they get the message around? It wasn't a lack of getting the message. We'll see in a minute. I'll quote a couple of sources. But it wasn't a lack of getting the message. It wasn't because oh oh my god, I missed that. I didn't hear about it. That's that's not what happened. People refused to go. People were knowledgeable of what Ezra was saying and they didn't believe it. They simply did not believe him. They didn't accept him. In other places, correct. A hundred percent. That was why it was a very, very big challenge. Even Babel, which wasn't so far from Israel, seventy years is a long time, right? Think about it. You know. <laughs> okay, so I'm just saying. Think, think of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Think of the the whole. How long is that Eretz Yisrael? Right, nineteen forty-eight. That's not even seventy years. Just, 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 just becoming seventy years, right? So think about what can be accomplished in 70 years, what kind of infrastructure you can build up, what kind of community, what kind of uh, comfort you can have. And you're telling everybody, okay, leave that all behind, your businesses, whatever you've built up, whatever you've, you've established for yourself, your families. Everybody should come and live in Israel, which was extraordinarily difficult. Israel was not inviting at the time. It was destroyed and had not been rebuilt in the, in the interim of the 70 years. It had just been ravaged. Everything had been burnt through wars, multiple wars, and there was nobody living there. To, so it was like an overrun. It was like telling people to move to the Sahara Desert and we'll build it up. You know, it was, people were not buying it. But they were not just not buying it because of the difficulty, which could be, but they also didn't, they simply didn't believe him. They just didn't believe him. They didn't believe that this was going to be a cool asylum. They said, Mashiach will come. You know, we, we, don't, we don't believe this. He, it seems like that he had every qualification possible, right? He was, compared to Meshra Benu, he was the undisputed leader of Klai Yisrael. He wasn't the only Gadol, there was the Holanchik Nesek Daila, there was 120 people that came with him. So people, a lot of people did buy into what he said. A lot of Tamil Kham, but a lot of didn't. Uh, like I was saying before, Daniel, Mishal, Hanan, Mishal, Azariah, apparently went back to Babel. They didn't, or it could be they just saw that it wasn't going to happen, you know, after the inevitable passing of Ezra, then that, you know. But what's important is, and we'll see a little bit more about this, is that it really was a window of opportunity, which means that while Ezra was alive, if people would have heeded him, if people would have come, everything could have been different. The base of Mikdash would have not, one second, would have not necessarily been destroyed, and the wouldn't have ended. And when he died, that all ended, that, that, that window closed. So essentially, the roots of the destruction of the base of Mikdash, the roots of why we don't have Nevoah, all that, is because Ezra died, meaning to say we, he, we didn't appreciate his life. What were you going to ask? Well, um, well, this is that you suggest that people were so entrenched in their lives that it was so 
believe. It's also hard to believe, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, if what would it take us to believe that someone says the gula is now? Short of, of multiple open miracles. I mean, one wouldn't be enough. Really, one would not be enough. It would be multiple open miracles. And, and I don't think even that would be enough, to tell you the truth. I think it would have to be that our situation would become untenable. I'm like, I think I'd have to be under severe duress here. Well, I think I'd have to be under I'm saying, we would have to be, we would have to be, our situ- we would have to get the realization that our situation is untenable, and that's why we move on. <laughs> if you think that would help, I would do that. <laughs> I That most Obviously. definitely. Yeah, most definitely, yeah. Right. I don't even have to believe that you don't believe the person. Again, I, I think very, very much so that this is an eye-opening point. And it's the reason, again, why we fast on his passing is because we don't want that to happen again. And we want to be able to learn from that. Go ahead. Yeah. So that, that's, you should know that's, that's, that's not something everybody agrees with, that what you just said. Okay. That, the, that the, the reason why Nebuah left was because we lost the, the Yetzirah of Abba Dizar. That's an opinion. There's people that say that. Sefer Hasidim, I think, says that. So it, it, it's, the Gaulus itself corrected it, right. Correct. The, the Gaulus itself was atoned for it, and they were being given a second chance. And that second chance was much more significant than people realized that it was. It was a second chance that would everybody have embraced, it could have been a permanent thing. It had the potential to be permanent. Um, So as I was saying, yes, so the the Marsha, there's also a a source in um, a sefer, it's a different sefer written by Roshayim, Sefer Yuchsum, I don't have it on the page here, uh, where he says that uh, again, it was the, the, the death of Ezra signified the end of Nevoah. It did, I mean, it literally signified the end of Nevoah. He was the last Navi, but it also sealed the fate of Nevi'im, that there wasn't going to be Nevoah anymore. And there's a, um, there's a fascinating Me'iri, which I don't understand totally, but we could think about it. The Me'iri, it's number um, 12. Me'iri is one of the Rishayim, uh, written on every Masech and Shas. And he writes like this, look at number 12. Even though after this fact that Ezra passed away, there were many tremendous Tamid Chachamim, they had some connection to Nevoah, which is Chiddush, because they were so great. And towards the end of their life, they would let us know a little bit of what the future is going to be. There wasn't a real established Navi to rebuke Klai Yisrael, and to tell them what's going to happen to them, with the commands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because of this, there was a spread of jealousy, because they did not listen to each other anymore. There was no centralized leader that everybody could be, an undisputed leader, that everybody would recognize and respect. So the, the loss of Nevuah also sealed the fates of the eventual destruction of the second base mission, which was because of, um, which was because of Sinas Chinam. And he explains that it was 
the, la- the lack of nevuah was something that Kali Yisrael just couldn't get over, meaning to say it was very clear in the time of a Navi that the Navi was the last word. He was the final word. You couldn't argue with him and you understood whatever he said was going to happen. Now, you look at the Sukkim and Tanakh and the first place of Mikdash, it makes it sound like people were not listening to the Nevi'im, they were ignoring the Nevi'im, but it seems, nonetheless, as much as they were sinning and because of that they were punished, but they didn't dispute the Navi's authority and therefore Kali Yisrael could be led and it could be unified. And once there was no Nevu'ah, that unity fell apart, that unity um, you know, dis- dis- disintegrated. I mean, like I said, there's a lot to think about this, and it's something that I think we witness it on every level, not just in the Jewish community, but even in the world, um, when there's a lack of clarity in who's the leader, <laughs> uh, who should be leading, uh, it just leads to so much strife and so much uh, sinaschinam. Go ahead. Does Ezra have like a basic disqualification of being that person to lead everybody back because he was a Kohen and not a king? So why didn't he like Shmuel and appoint a king, and then, right, and like, then he would have all the structure oh, and power that so he I, That's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer. I didn't see someone discussing that. My guess would be was that these things followed each other, meaning to say that perhaps a king would have been appointed would it have coalesced into a real geula. Once people were not coming back, so that was was a uh, foregone conclusion that wasn't going to happen. If people were not coming back, then it wasn't going to be a geula shlema, so then it wasn't appropriate to reestablish the kingdom. They also were under... Kairish, he wouldn't have allowed them to establish a king. It would only have been if they would have come back with their, self, you know, their own power that they could have established a king. Truly, in, once the Hashemunayim took power, so they made themselves kings, which had its own problem, that they shouldn't have done that. But, but that was the only point in history they could have done that. When they were under another leader, they could have governors, we couldn't have kings. Go ahead. Could they have established a king outside of Eretz Yisrael? I'm sorry? They could have established a king outside of Eretz Yisrael. I'm saying... There was. The, the lineage was still there. Another Yahyachin and his son, and uh, there, there, there was someone who actually led Kali's role in the place of a king, which was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the son of Yahyachin, of whatever, grandson. So he was, he was essentially the person who was next in line to be king, but he wasn't allowed by the government, who was actually in control. Um, so I just want to quote a couple of uh, different sources, fascinating sources, about the communities that did not come up with Ezra, that didn't, didn't end up going with him. There's a Sefer HaMishnayis, it's called Melech HaShlema. It's not in the sources here, it's a little too long, I didn't put them in the sources. So the Sefer HaMishnayis is called Melech HaShlema. It's on, every, every Mishnayis has it on the bottom. Uh, it's very, very early, it's an Akron, not, not from the period of Rishayim, but he, he writes as follows. He says that from my grandfather, I have, uh, I have a Masera, I have right, a tradition, that we, where he lived, uh, which I believe was in Tunisia, they had been, that community was there from the first base of Mikdash. They were there, they had gone to Gaulus in the first place of Mikdash and they never went back with Ezra. So that community had been there in Tunisia from the first place of Mikdash. And he said, I also have a, a Messiah that we had been sent a message by Ezra HaSeifer that we should come back and we should be part of the building of the second base of Mikdash. And Vayitnu Kosef Sereres, and we turned a shoulder on him and we refused. Vayikalem, and he gave them a curse. Li is that they should always be poor. 
and live with poverty. And it says, most certainly what happened to us. <laughs> we lived with tremendous poverty. There's a lack of, of Torah knowledge, there's a lack of mammon. And certainly in my family, <laughs> he says, we've always suffered from poverty. So just fascinating, right? So this is testimony. They had their own Messiah, they had their own tradition in this community in Tunisia, that they were from the people that Ezra HaSeifer had asked to come back. They did not. And he, he cursed them. He didn't, he didn't let it go. Go ahead. It was meant to be an incentive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you find that motivational, but of course, from Ezra Cypher, was... It, 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 basically, yeah. Well, in, in terms... You actually find it in the Pesukim by Ezra too. It wasn't a curse so much as he was saying like this. The only way you can have bracha is being associated with the Beis HaMikdash. Otherwise, you're going, you can't possibly have bracha. A curse isn't necessarily... It's just the absence of bracha. This is, you can't, you're not going to have wealth. You're not going to have prosperity. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry? Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying. This is, this is, what, this is, what, he, uh, this is what he testifies. Was that Ezra originally trying to compel them to come back and then once the boat was missed, the boat was missed and it didn't really matter anymore? Or was that Ezra saying for all 420 years? That I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like that's what happened. No one tried after that. Here's another testimony. This is a Sefer Kol Sheir Sistral. Um, this is also very early Akron. So this is uh, Anira Yuspa, or Yosef his name is. He says he was a Bakr. He learned in Yeshiva in Fulda. Fulda was uh, it's a place in Europe. It's part of uh, Austria. It was part of what was Austria. And uh, there was a guy in there whose name was Rav Pinchas. And he was Mephursim in Tyra and Anava, and humility in Tyra. And he says one day they were, the Bnei Yeshiva were sitting around. They, had, uh, they were schmoozing with him. And they talked about all the terrible... They're talking about the First Crusade. Because Germany, and that, that, specifically that part of Germany, which was, uh, it's the modern day uh, Worms, uh, what was then also Worms, so that, that was actually the, directly in the path of the Crusaders. So it was like wiped out a few times. The whole community was killed. The First Crusade, Second Crusade, each Crusade wiped out that community. And he said exactly these words. I heard from my Rebbe, Rabbi Shul Valk. Rabbi Shul Valk is very, very famous. He's the, he wrote the Sefer called the Sma, Sefer Mir Sanayim. It's on the Shulchan Aruch, it's on the Torah. It's one of the mainstays of Halacha. So Rabbi Shul Valk said that why was it that the ear of worms had such terrible tsaras, more than any other community in Germany. Because the community there was a community that had been there from the first base of Mikdash. They had gone and Gauls from the first base of Mikdash. And then at the end of Gauls Bavel, after the 70 years, they did not want to go. And Eisen and Shevermes Le Rotzulalis, they didn't want to go. Venishrusham, and they stayed there in Worms in Germany. And the people of Yerushalayim wrote to the Jews in Worms, and they said, Come round to Gaulus and come to Yerushalayim. Join us in Yerushalayim. And you have an obligation. There's the three Yom Taibim, Shalash Regalim. You have an obligation to go to the base of Mikdash. They had a base of Mikdash. They were not going to the base of Mikdash. Where they had the opportunity to do Ali Le Regal. And they said, um, they panu Irif, they turned their back on them, and they said, You live in the big Yerushalayim, and we live in the little Yerushalayim. They were very respected. They were very. Uh, they had a, a, a lot of honor and a lot of. They were very established in the city of Worms, and they were very wealthy. That's also a thing to think about, right? You can't. The, the nursing homes are not going to fly there at Israel. You know, the, the shuls will. I'm just saying. You know, the people's source of parnasa, whatever it will be, it won't come along with us. 
Uh, we're going to have to start over from scratch. It's, it's, it's a big deal. It's not such, such a simple thing to leave behind. And that's why eventually they were punished more than any other of the communities in Ashkenaz and they were wiped out by the Crusades one after another many, many different times. Um, and then here's the third one, the two other ones, two other sources, which also I found fascinating. This was a different city also in Germany called Regensburg. Um, they also did not go, they also had a Messiah that they didn't go. This is the Fetire. Fetire is a Sefer on Medrash. It's very, also a very well-known Sefer on Medrash. So he writes that they, didn't, they also didn't go up after the first base of Mictus. They did not accept. And the Anche Toledo, that's, that's, in, that's in Spain, Toledo, they also didn't go. And he says an interesting thing. He says it used to be that around Xmas time, the Jews would literally have to hide for the three or four days before and after Xmas because they were, you found a Jew on the street, they would just kill them, beat them up because they blamed the Jews for killing uh, their, their, their Yashka. He says these communities, they didn't have to because everybody knew that they weren't there. They never went back. They were, they were there since the first place of they said that those communities didn't have to hide during the exercise. Uh, that's fascinating that the, the non-Jews were knowledgeable of the fact that these people weren't there. That's a fascinating thing. And then the, the last thing, which is also fascinating, and this also gives us more insight onto why they didn't come back. This is the Sefer Seder Hayyim. This is also this is a very, very early Akhren, and he explains, it's really a Sefer of Kabbalah. He gives a lot of Kabbalah insights into Tfilis. And he writes that Emes Vyatsev, right, which we say every morning after Krishna. Emes Vyatsev, he says, is a very unique kind of tefillah. It's interesting, right? Emes Vyatsev, it's like one, seven, 15 shvachim, one after another. He says it was written by a community, um, one of the communities that refused to come back to Yerushalayim with Ezra. They wrote this whole, they wrote this whole and Sheva, and it was incorporated into Davening. He says, why did they write it? He says, Ezra sent them, sent them to them, they asked them to come to Eretz Yisrael, and they refused. And they said, why don't we want to come? And this also sheds light. We know we're going to go into Galus another time. We know this base of Mikdash is going to get destroyed. Why do we have to suffer with this again? We already went in Galus one time. We don't need to do it again. It's better for us to stay where we are. We'll serve Hashem here. We'll go back to Hashem and then we'll get kicked out again. And who needs that? So therefore, he says, they wrote... Uh, this is the Spanish community, they wrote the Amos Vyatsev just to demonstrate that don't say we're just Rishayim, we don't believe in Hashem and we don't have Amuna, we don't have faith. No, Amos Vyatsev and Achim, Vikayim, Vyasha, we believe in everything. We just don't think it's worth it. It's not a good decision. It's not, not a good choice. We're going to go to Galus again. Everything we're built up over here is just, we're going to leave it now, go to Eretz We're going to build up there. We're going to get destroyed again, have to come back here again. It's just not worth it. Let us stay where we are. And this was the test of faith that all the communities had that they either, they were so entrenched and they were so uh, respected and, on, and, and had such parnasa where they were, or they simply did not believe that this was going to be a geula, they didn't think that this Beis HaMikdash is going to last, they didn't believe this Beis HaMikdash had the, the Hashra HaShchina, so they didn't go. And because it didn't go, it was a cash 22. That's why it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, that's why we missed the opportunity of the Beis HaMikdash being rebuilt in a way that the Shechina would come, open miracles, the Nevuah continuing. It could have been, but it didn't end up being because of that. <clears throat> and Go ahead. It was prophecy. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and that's what it was. Since right. they didn't believe it, they didn't go back, and since they didn't go back, they were right about why they should have been 
Yeah. So, um, so when we look now and uh, we try to understand what it is that were why that they made Asara Batavis to incorporate the death of Ezra, it starts to make a lot more sense to us. We understand what Ezra could have done. Ezra could have, if we would have heeded him, if we would have listened to him, if we would have joined him, we would not have missed that, um, uh, that a window of opportunity. And then the second base of Mikdash would still be here. We would still have Navu. We would still be in Eretz Yisrael. We wouldn't, the whole Golos wouldn't have happened. So the roots of the destruction lay in the fact that we didn't appreciate who Ezra was. And, and then when he died, we lost that opportunity. And in, in addition, Ezra, as we mentioned before, established the Torah. I mean, it means he taught the Torah in a way that there was no part of the Torah that was forgotten when Ezra gave over that Messiah. But when Ezra passed away, little by little it began to become forgotten. Different parts of it, the Tesis Yantiv, it's also Pirush Mishnayis. He writes this, he writes that it was from the point of Ezra and on that the Torah little by little began to begin, become forgotten. So at every level, Klal Yisrael lost the strength and the potential that they could have had at this point of the Ezra HaSeifer's passing. And I want to finish with Chassam Seifer, and he says an amazing thing. The Chassam Seifer, he, we've quoted him in, in the past about uh, Sarbatavis. He writes that uh, Sarbatavis every year is when the Bezdin Shalmal decides if there's going to be Tishabav. Every year on a Sarbatavis, the Bezdin Shalmal decides will there be Tishabav this year or not? Will the Bezdin Shalmal be dis- destroyed, so remain destroyed or not? Sarbatavis is the day. And he says that's why Sarbatavis is so significant. And he says that's why it's such an important time to do tshuva. And he writes that. The reason why Ezra HaSeifer's death is included in the, the morning for the, for the second Mitzvah and for the fast of the Sarbatevis, he says, is because when Ezra HaSeifer died, Kalei did not mourn him properly. He said when, when and this is the last source we have here. Let me just read part of it inside. It's really, it's uh, number 13. Sorry? It doesn't seem like they appreciated his life. I'm not sure why they would do it when he died. <laughs> well, he said they established a fast so that we can start, we can start learning about it. So he says like this, um, number 13. He says, In Cain, The way we find that the death of Moshe Rabbeinu on Zion Adar, it actually, that day became a source of a schus for us. And you know the whole story, Zion Adar, uh, uh, Haman thought it would be a bad day, and really it was a good day, so on and so forth. He has all the to explain that, but the death of Moshe Rabbeinu was not a bad thing. So the death of, of Ezra on the day of Testavis would be a day that we have a kapara every day. And that would have should help us to achieve that the Kharban shouldn't reoccur every year, so to speak. We should be zeichel that the base of should be rebuilt. But he writes, "Hine, Kishemais Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. Al Vashalam, Az Zkenim Shabedar, the the elders of the of the generation said, Pnei Moshe Kechama, the face of Moshe was like the sun. Pnei Yeshua Kolavana, but the face of Yeshua is only like the moon. And what they were trying to do, they weren't trying to." Uh, to, to, to cast anything on Yeshua. They were just trying to demonstrate what we lost. They were teaching the nation, the nation of what they lost. The, the, our, our, our new leader is not on the same level of Moshe. And the nation cried for 30 days. And since there was such a big tzar, such an understanding of the loss of Moshe, therefore his death now protects us and is a source of a schus. Because when someone passes away, if you appreciate him then, so at least you, you, that much you keep in others, his life's work 
is retained. His life works remains. It, it, it accomplishes what he was trying to accomplish, even if we didn't get, grab the window of opportunity when he was alive, but appreciating and being masked and, and understanding the loss can also uh, contribute to that as well. Aval, he says, this next line, Aval Kishamais Ezra Sefer, but when Ezra Sefer passed away, Az Lohidu has Kanim Saravadase. The Kanim did not teach the loss, the tremendous loss. Shahaya Gadul Kamaishi was as great as Maisha. And he didn't leave anybody after him who was as great as him. Adarab, he says, on the contrary, they were perhaps even happy, so to speak, or they were like breathed a sigh of relief. relief. Uh, they now were, were not under his control anymore and they speak in the language of the nations I'm not sure what that means and that's why his death does not protect us it was a source to, to make even a, a bigger uh, kitri against Klal Yisrael and he explains with this that there's, there's a somewhat of a contradiction in uh, sources whether Test Tevis was the day that Ezra passed away and other sources say this is actually what's written in Shulchan because we don't know what happened that day. So he says, doesn't, it's not the two things, the same thing. He says, the, the, what happened at Tespatevis is that we don't know what happened that day. <laughs> we have never had the appreciation of what happened on that day. Ezra's ever passed away, but nobody knows that. Nobody appreciates that. Nobody understands what that meant. That's how he explains it. It's a beautiful, a beautiful pshat. So, um, all in all, just to summarize, what we see is like this. We see is that Ezra Cipher represented a chance at a future at the at the ultimate Geula. He represented a chance in trusting in a Kadri Baruch Hu to come back there to Israel, trusting Hashem to give up everything that we had, um, and that would have given us the of, uh, eternal Nevuah and the base of would have stood. And Klai Yisrael didn't trust him, and they didn't weren't willing to give up. They weren't willing to have faith that this, this was the Geula. They weren't willing to give up what they had, and and uh, in addition, Ezra represented. A Maseris Atira, a Maseris Nefesh, to establish Torah and to establish the purity of Kali Yisrael. And if we don't appreciate that and learn from that enough now, then the risk is that it will cause the carbon to continue because Kali Yisrael ultimately will have to go through that same test when Mashiach comes as well. We'll need the faith that Mashiach is coming. We'll need the faith to follow after him, to give up everything that we have, and to rebuild what we have lost. And that's the significance of who Ezra Sefer is. Thank you.